Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. Uh, about the title, so actually at the professorship interview, right after I was done with the interview, they was like, and if, you know, what, what do you want your title to be? And I was like, shouldn't you have asked, shouldn't you have told me beforehand? You mean, you had a choice. I had a choice, and they told me, and they were like, on the spot. Right. Like, on the spot. They just like, so what do you want your title to be? So, um, anyway, I just kind of got this something. Right, so, um, so today I'm going to talk about this new work on uh, the foodie social construction of this aesthetic, what I think is this aesthetic category or aesthetic person kind, uh, the foodie. So there are a range of... Um, small genre of think pieces devoted to tell us that the word foodie is problematic and we ought to stop using it. Um, so a common claim is that it's infantilizing. Um, and of course, infantilizing others is often bad when it's directed at a specific gender or race. Um, <laughs> But even if you can make the case that foodie is infantilizing, I guess it's the IE that's supposed to be infantilizing. Um, like preppy and yuppie and trekky, I guess. I guess that's infantilizing. Even if it is infantilizing, I think you have to make a case that it's like problematically infantilizing. Because I take it baby when used with a partner is infantilizing. It doesn't seem morally problematic to me. Um, it's been claimed the problem with the word is that you can't possibly call yourself a foodie. Now, understood as a straightforward mobile claim, that's false. I'm a foodie. Um, but even if there's something supposed to be pragmatically self-defeating about calling yourself a foodie, like cool or humble, when my mom on Facebook calls herself cool, you think there's something not quite working there. Um, you know, and one shouldn't call oneself a foodie. Uh, even if that's the case, it's hard to see why that's a problem with the word. It's just a problem with the self-description. Um, another claim is that it's too broad, but if you think foodie's too broad, you haven't spent time in West Texas or Yorkshire. So, um, and broad terms are often useful. Uh, so I think the criticisms of the term are unpersuasive. There might be others, but I think in general the criticisms of the term Unpersuasive. The term usefully functions to pick out an important aspect of contemporary life, a recently emergent social role with an aesthetic dimension, what I'll call an aesthetic social role or an aesthetic person kind. Like other socially constructed social roles such as the dandy, the punk, and the hipster. So I'll argue. So there's the, there's the thesis. That's what I want to argue. So here's the plan. I'm gonna, you know, you might think foodie is just a slur, um, and I'm gonna talk about that in the first section of the paper. I'll argue that it isn't a slur, um, but that instead it, the term picks out what's called a dual character concept, and that's how the descriptive and evaluative stuff are linked uh, in uh, foodie. I'll then turn um, to some recent theories of the foodie and argue that they have problems. In particular, they're overly individualistic, that if you think about the category of the foodie, it's a social category. And then I'll turn in section three to various theories of the social construction and try to look at what theory might make best sense of the foodie. I'll argue that the foodie should be understood as social role, roughly along the lines that Ron Mallon sketches 
uh, in his book, uh, recent work on, uh, on social roles and social construction. I'll then turn to the alarming spread of foodies over the last few decades and argue that the account that I've offered gives some explanation for that alarming spread. I'll then conclude, and later they'll be eating. <laughs> so that's the point. <laughs> okay. Uh, tongue tacos, also in Mexico City. Delicious. So uh, the term is coined, um, it appears in 1980 by Gail Green, who was a restaurant reviewer for New York Magazine. Uh, I had a lot of time, spent a lot of time, it's New York Magazine. Magazine isn't part of the name, but it's just New York. Um, it's a review, actually, uh, the review, it, the article is, a, it's about this, she, she goes over to Paris, and people said, Nouvelle Cuisine is dead. It's bourgeois cuisine is what's happening. And then she goes to about 15 restaurants in France and writes reviews. And this is, uh, the, the word is coined in the review of this um, uh, restaurant um, run by Dominique Namias, who's the only female chef that has three red toques at that point. And go, 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 um, there doesn't seem to be any pejorative use of the term foodie and how she and how uh, Green used it. The next allegedly uh, distinct coinage of the term appeared in Harper's and Queen magazine in 1982. It describes um, Paul Levy, who was one of the writers for Harper and Queens, and it calls him a, this is the, the phrase, ghastly, his stomach is bigger than his eyes, original appetite unsuppressed, lip-smacking king foodie. So there you can see some sort of pejorative uh, sense. <laughs> and then uh, Levy, who actually, so that was supposed to describe him, he also anonymously edited the article. He then wrote a book in 1984 with Ann Barr called The Official Foodie Handbook. And they, there they initially characterize the foodie as a person who is very interested in food, and the pejorative aspect, the negative attitude, seems fairly straightforward. Uh, here's the, you are the, here describing the foodie. You are the new man and the new woman. You believe you are impervious to fads. Uh, a setter, not a follower of trends. You're not a fanatical jogger, squash addict, or tennis bum. You know what exercise is for to give you an appetite. They're clearly, they're clearly taking the piss. In fact, later on in 2007, Levy said, I was taking the piss. Um, Okay, so is foodie a slur? So this is the second definition in, um, in the Urban Dictionary, a douchebag who likes food. Um, a number of authors treat similar terms, similar terms as slurs. So Kent Bach calls, says yuppie and hippie are slurs. Mitch Green also mentions yuppie as a slur in his work. Um, so a slur, derogatory term used to express negative attitude towards members of a group. Um, suppose foodie were a slur. It's often claimed that slurs are associated with coextensive neutral counterparts. That's debatable, but it's claimed by people like Anderson and Lepore. It might be tempting in that sort of case. Perhaps foodie picks out the same category as like 
food lover or something like that, but as an additional pejorative element. If that's right, then you might think the whole project of giving a theory of the foodie is a bit misguided. So that's why I want to, I just want to give some reasons to think that foodie really isn't a slur. So some things to point out here. First of all, plenty of people self-ascribe foodie. Now, people also self-ascribe various slur terms, but it's noticeable first that there is this use of self-ascription. There's lots of practical use of the term foodie. Things are advertised for foodies, foodie, foodie tours of Mexico City, foodie tours of, uh, of Rome, for example. The, um, so it seems like it, it's, it's a useful, uh, useful term that picks out a, a useful category. The pejorative element seems pretty clearly cancelable, even um, if uh, you have um, a negative attitude towards, towards foodies. He's a foodie, but in this case, I'm not, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him or how he his attitude towards food seems perfectly fine. That cancelability is not a feature that you find with slurs. The pejorative element of slurs isn't straightforwardly cancelable, which is why conversational implicature accounts of slurs uh, don't work. It, I mean, you might think it's a reappropriated or reclaimed term like queer chilango, or Mexican terms uh, like chilango or chilango. They were originally derogatory terms for people who live in Mexico City, which were reappropriated by people from Mexico City and now proudly, who now proudly identify as chilango or chilango. But it's notable, noticeable that the derogation, the negative attitude or criticism associated with the term food, foodie seems dependent on the attitude of the user. So, roughly speaking, if you've got a negative attitude towards foodies when you use foodie, you, you're criticized with it. Um, that's not how things work with reappropriated, re reclaimed terms. You don't, in some sense, the, the pejorative attitude aspect of the reclaimed term is not merely dependent on your attitude, which is why people can't sing along to some of their rap, to rap lyrics they like, whatever their attitudes may be. Um, and associated with that, usually with these reappropriate, reclaimed terms, the social status is relative to their use and function, appropriate use and function. But again, it doesn't look like anything like social status is relevant to the use of the term foodie. It's really just your attitude. If I have a positive attitude towards foodies and you have a negative attitude towards foodies, that's about all there is when it comes to use. And that's so, it just seems like it's attitude dependence rather than social status or other things. So for, for all those reasons, I think it's a mistake to think foodie is a slur. Uh, this was a tostada. It is a tostada. Well, it was a, It's a tostada that I ate in Mexico City. It was delicious. And like 50p. It was really good. Let's think about that for a while. Okay. So, um, so I do think foodie has something to do with values, both the term and associated concept has something to do with values. I think it's, I think foodies are kind of like philosophers. So, um, and scientists and uh, Christians. Um, so, I think there's a kind of conversation you could have about a philosopher. It makes that makes sense. He's not a true philosopher. 
What do you mean? He's got a PhD in philosophy and publishes papers in well-respected philosophy journals. That's not what I meant. I mean it's got no concern for wisdom or truth. He's only in it for the money. He's only in it... Okay. He's only in it for the social status. Okay, well, something. So, despite the... He's only in it for the money. I mean, look, salaries are not bad. Comparatively, I mean, right? Okay. Um, the same kind of conversation I think you can have with respect to foodie. She's not a true foodie. What do you mean? She's always talking about food and trying new restaurants. That's not what I meant. I mean, she's got no concern for the real value of food. She's not a real foodie, right? She's just a poser. Um, so it seems to me that gives us. So I think this, these sorts of conversations work with uh, some categories like philosopher, scientist, foodie. It's much tougher to have that, to make sense of that conversation if you're talking about, uh, say, accountant. Um, she's not a true accountant. Accountant, what do you mean? She's always doing accountancy things. <laughs> That's what I meant. I mean, she's got no concern for keeping track. I don't know. Um, so, uh, plumber, electrician, accountant—it's much more difficult, I think, to get these make see, make sense of these conversations. I think you can probably construct scenarios in which these kinds of con uh, conversations work, but you don't have to you don't have to construct a conversation to make sense of these the foodie and philosopher conversations. That see, strikes me as that uh, foodie shares something important. Uh, with philosopher and scientist and some of these other categories. So the hypothesis that Foodie expresses is what's called a dual character concept. Dual character concepts characterize members in terms of concrete features, like publishes papers, has a PhD, has to grade papers, is miserable in early December, um, and a set of abstract values that those features seem to realize, like, is committed to wisdom and truth and maybe uh, inve uh, investigating common sense, challenging common sense. So these concepts provide two bases for evaluating category membership. That set of concrete features are often associated with uh, evaluations along the line of good or bad. So a good philosopher is someone who published a lot of papers in really good journals and marks their student essays on time. Okay, maybe that doesn't count as being a good philosopher, good philosophy professor. Um, uh, and then the abstract values are, are associated with the true, uh, the true evaluation. So a true philosopher is someone who's got may not publish a lot of papers, may not even have a PhD in philosophy. They might just be a graduate student. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yet they have a commitment to the underlying values of, uh, of, of a philosopher pursuing truth, challenging common sense. What are, what are other values? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so, um, so I think Foodie is like philosopher and scientist like that and differs, differs from some other uh, categories like uh, accountant and engineer. Um, so there are these other sentences, other, other bits of evidence that I think suggest that foodie is like dual character. These are all, so, these are all uh, tests for dual, being dual character. 
So there's a val there's this, this values conversation. Suppose someone says she's a foodie, and now now suppose that another person replies, I disagree. She's not really a foodie at all. If you think she's real a foodie, you'd have to I'd have to say there's something fundamentally wrong with your values. I think that would make that sort of conversation make sense. Again, it makes sense of philosopher or scientist. It's hard to see how to make sense of that without some work. Uh, for an accountant, for example. Um, and then you get these ultimately not sentences. These are all tests for a dual character that Novin and his, uh, his collaborators use. Sense in which she's clearly a foodie, but ultimately when you think about what it really means to be a foodie, you have to say she's not a foodie at all. Again, I think that makes perfect sense. Philosoph works with philosopher, much harder to work, to see working with bartender, say, or accountant. So I think foodie is a dual is a dual character concept. You might worry that may, maybe you think dual characterness is gradable rather than there are distinct categories: dual character, uh, non-dual character. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to put a lot of weight on this. Uh, I, what I'd say then, um, following Del Pinel and Reuter, is that these things that foodie is strongly dual character. That's say more like philosopher and scientist than like accountant or bartender. So there's this normative, there's some descriptive features, if I'm right, associated with the, the concept of foodie and some, some evaluative features. The evaluative features aren't merely a matter of positive or negative evaluation. Philosophers, there's some sort of value stuff associated with the concept of philosopher, uh, but it's not a matter of positive evaluation or negative evaluation. Um, there might be some dual character concepts that do have this positive negative evaluation, like thug. Um, but most of them have some sort of, there's some sort of value feature or set of features, not positive or negative evaluations. Perhaps those normative features are something like um, associated with like commitments to fill basic function or functions associated with the role. So you've got, so like the philosopher, the the true philosopher is someone who is committed or is highly committed to uh, challenging common sense and pursuing wisdom. The good philosopher has a PhD from a good place and publishes lots of papers, but maybe lacks that commitment. Something like that. Now, you'll find you should expect interpersonal variation with respect to some of the underlying features. I mean, we're not going to agree, I think, even in this room, what the underlying normative features are associated with a philosopher. Um, some of the, seems to me that the commitments, if you look at the research on foodie, the commitments that people talk about, the way people talk about foodies, people who are critical of them tend to think that the underlying function something like enhancing social status the person is committed to or is striving to enhance their social status by posting pictures of what they eat, talking about what they eat. Whereas people who are positively uh, inclined towards foodies um, think of the underlying commitment as something like a commitment to eat the best possible food, something like that. Um, if that's right, if you've got like variation between uh, what people think the underlying commitments or functions are associated with foodies, you should particularly predict interpersonal variation in what counts as a true foodie for people who are critical of foodies and people who have positive attitudes towards foodies. I think that's right. I think true foodie, 
for people who are critical is someone who's like really in, interested in social status, whereas a true foodie for someone who's positively inclined towards foodies is someone who's really committed to eating food, good food for the right reasons. So I think you do get that, that difference is seen in how people uh, treat true foodies. So if I'm right, and I haven't done the empirical work, but if I'm right, uh, a foodie is, if you, I'd say a dual character concept, or at least strongly dual character, as opposed to, uh, so more like philosopher and scientist than say, um, uh, bartender or bus driver. Now it's noticeable that most of the dual character concepts, or strongly dual character concepts, are social role concepts. So here are just paradigmatic ones that get talked about, say, in uh, Sarah Jane Leslie's work, Del Pinal and Reuter's work, scientist, artist, philosopher, Christian, soldier, musician, friend, mother. So just a thought, foodie is a dual character concept. Not all dual character concepts are social role concepts. But it looks like a lot of them are. Um, I think we should, it will, I think it gives us some hints as, as to the kind of theory of foodie that we should end up looking for. We're going to look for a theory of the foodie that makes it a social role rather than some sort of psycho psychological or behavioral category. So that was, um, that was at this, yeah, that was a ceviche, a squid ceviche at a French-Mexican place. It was amazing. Um, okay, so that's all I'm going to say about semantics of foodies. It's not a slur. I think it's dual character or strongly dual character if you, if you uh, think the distinction is gradable. And because it's dual character or strongly dual character, I think that suggests we should look to giving a, a theory of the foodie as a social role rather than as a psychological kind. Okay, so uh, now I want to talk about foodies rather than the semantics of foodie. So I think we can distinguish foodies from gourmets and gourmands. Um, foodies don't have a, aren't only interested in fine food and drink. Um, they, they tend to have be interested in um, also in low popular mass food. They interest in source and preparation. So a foodie and a gourmet might overlap, but I think they've got these features that go beyond being a gourmet. Um, gourmand, often misused word, essentially gourmands are people who like food and like to eat. Um, foodies um, uh, like to eat a lot. A gourmand is like a, is a trencherman or a trencher woman, to use the... Um, but there are plenty of foodies who have no essential interest in eating a great deal. There are plenty of uh, restrained foodies. And gourmand, the gourmand is really focused on eating, enjoying their food and eating a lot, whereas the, the food he's interested in has lots of other interests. So I think it's a distinct category. So there are a couple recent theories of the foodie. This is uh, from some anthropologists, Johnston and Bauman in Foodies, Democracy and Distinction in the Gourmet Landscape. A foodie is a person who devotes considerable time and energy to eating and learning about good food, however good food is defined. Um, I, won't, I won't raise specific objections to that, but the general objection I'll make will apply to this too. 
And here's Susan Wolf uh, from The Ethics of Being a Foodie, which is in the recent um, Oxford Handbook of Food Ethics. Let me characterize a foodie roughly and briefly as someone who's an enthusiast about food for aesthetic reasons. So I think this is a bit of an improvement over the Johnston Bauman. Just say they sort of, on their account, uh, they devote considerable time and energy to eating and learning about food, but they don't give any, there's nothing about the reasons why they do that. And so I think Wolf, by adding reasons, um, seems to be giving a richer account. Someone who more particularly loves food, or more precisely loves tasting food, who's interested enough in it to be willing to spend a considerable portion of his or her expendable income and time to exploring, studying, and sampling food with special interest in the pleasures of tastes. So this is the only existing philosophical theory of the foodie that I've seen. So I take, I, I think Wolf is right that the foodie is an aesthetic person kind. Um, that jobs with what many of other people have said about foodies. So Barr and Levy early on in the official foodie handbook say that foodies consider food to be a, an art. Poole in, uh, Stephen Poole in an article in The Guardian called Let's Start the Foodie Backlash uh, said for the foodist, he uses foodist instead of foodie because he doesn't like that term foodie. Food is already art. And again, Wolf talks about uh, the foodie being an enthusiast about food for aesthetic reasons. So I think the food is art case can't be quite right. So an aesthetician for a philosophical aesthetician, for example, might be a foodie, but might resist thinking food is art on purely theoretical grounds. I'm not even convinced that um, that foodies must be enthusiasts about food for aesthetic reasons. It depends on how you're going to count aesthetic reasons, um, but it seems like they could be um, enthusiasts about food um, for itself without it being without having aesthetic reasons, and still count as a foodie. I suspect that, um, that this aesthetic characteristic of the foodie is not an essential characteristic of the foodie, but rather a typical or standard feature. And now I should look for my text where I say something clever about this. Yeah, so what I, what I tend to think is there are a cluster of features that tend to be instantiated together. A concern for food rooted in aesthetic reasons, a tendency to treat some food as art, frequent use of aesthetic vocabulary to describe food, and so on. Um, and one other, which I'll come to in a second, which are broadly an aesthetic in nature and are standard in a Waltonian sense for the category of the foodie. If so, the foodie is a broadly aesthetic category. That is to say, it's a category of persons where this aesthetic feature is standard, although perhaps not essential to it. Um, a category of persons for which some aesthetic or artistic attitude, interest, rule, or action is criterial of, but perhaps not essential to membership. So, so I think uh, Wolf is on the right track. Now, there are some minor things that you might quibble with with respect to Wolf. She talks about loving tasting food, 
we should probably focus on eating. Willingness to spend a considerable portion of his or her expendable income and time. Well, they're stingy foodies. Special interest in the pleasure of taste. She talks about, we want to talk about flavor. Um, but those are all sort of very, very minor things that Wolf could handle with a slight modification. But I think the fundamental problem with Wolf is the individualist individualistic account of foodie. It's, for her, it's a, basically a psycho-behavioral psycho category. But the foodie is a social category. So just to kind of warm us up, let me just point to some of the social behavior that the foodie that are typically associated with the foodie. They're interested in socializing that involves food. They're interested in communicating in person and on the internet about food. This is the other feature that I was thinking about that links it, that makes the foodie um, an aesthetic category. So Peter Kivy, early on in the Degustibus book, says people dispute about art, but they don't dispute about food. Now, whatever you think about people in general, it's certainly the case that foodies engage in disputation in the robust sense about food. And that's another, I think, broadly aesthetic feature of the, of the category. So these are all sort of social, social bits of behavior that, uh, that I think are important to recognize about the foodie. But that, maybe that's all still consistent with the broadly Wolfian account. You could say, well, people who love food, of course they're going to socialize with food and talk about food and dispute about food. So I want to push the social element of the foodie a bit more. So the next thing to know, so that's, um, that's a picture of a, of a giant crab above a restaurant in Osaka, in the food section of Osaka, Dodenbury. Um, um, so the term foodie is now used throughout the world, and it's actually, lots of languages translate foodie as foodie, like if you go to Google Translate, you get the same thing, and it's actually, uh, it's very, very commonly used, even in, in Mexico, for example, people call each other foodies, um, or use the term. Uh, it's noticeable it's coined in the Anglo-American environment in which there is less attention to food than in many other cultures. It's noticeable, I mean, sometimes people think there's some, um, that race is involved here, and I wouldn't deny that there's some sort of, there's some racial dynamics going on here, but, but people do tend to resist applying food into many food-focused cultures. It's, if you're in Japan, if you're in Osaka, it's a little, it's, it seems awkward to attribute foodie there. Or if you're in Singapore, or in, say, Mexico City. Because in some sense, so they either all are, in which case it doesn't really make sense to attribute it. Well, you can see there's a sort of there's a sort of puzzle about those cases. I mean, again, if you're in if you're eating uh, you're eating pinches in in, in in the Basque country, it'd be a little odd to say of those people around you that they were foodies. So, so and again, if, if foodie were simply an enthusiast about food for aesthetic reasons, why would they emerge in London and New York rather than? like places where people are really enthusiastic about food for aesthetic reasons, like the world centers of being enthusiastic about, like Tokyo or Oaxaca. 
What that suggests to me is there's a hidden kind of comparative aspect to the foodie. The foodie isn't just someone who loves food or is enthusiast, enthusiastic about food. They're enthusiastic, they're, they love food more than the norm, some, something like that, where the norm can't be what's normal in some statistical sense, because we could all become foodies in some sense we're all already headed that way. Um, the norm has to be something, well, normative. Um, so given that there's this comparative aspect, I think, which explains why it's awkward to attribute foodie in some of these um, food-obsessed cultures, um, the coinage of it in London and America, center, world centers of um, you know, not being so enthusiastic about food for, for aesthetic reasons. Um, we see that the social aspect of foodie is more than just social behavior. There's an there's a, um, intrinsic uh, reference to the cultural environment in attributions of the foodie. So I think this suggests that foodie isn't a psychological kind. It's a socially constructed kind. Here's Malin with a slight modification from me. X is socially constructed, if and only if X's existence or persistence or character is caused or constituted by collective human mental states, decisions, culture, or practices. So already with this comparative aspect, you see that some the being a foodie is um, constituted in part by one's place in one's culture. I'm right about the comparative aspect. I think there's more, there's even even more in favor of the socially constructed account of the foodie. If individualist theories were right, if someone was a foodie just because they, they were an enthusiast about food for aesthetic reasons, then we'd, we'd expect to find foodies throughout history. But I think recent coinage of the term, intuitions, pretty, I think robust intuitions of anachronism, and the inapplicability of various norms to project backwards suggest this isn't the case. So there's no entailment from recent coinage to social, to the phenomena being social, but we don't have uh, a case here in which some, uh, so sometimes we coin terms when we dis engage in empirical investigation and discover some new feature of the world. That doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like a clear case of that. It didn't look like Barr and Levy did some empirical investigation of the world and, and found this new kind of person. There are other kinds of um, new person kinds that are like, that artifact dependent, like, you know, video game player, but it doesn't look like it's like that. It doesn't look like it's a plausible case of a new natural phenomenon. I mean, you can get new natural, coin new terms because you have a new natural phenomenon. So there's no, I know, this doesn't entail that we've got uh, a social, social phenomenon or socially constructed phenomenon here, but I think it is suggestive. There's also, I think, pretty robust intuitions of anachronism. So this book by Dave DeWitt talks about Washington, Jefferson, and Franklin as foodies. I think we have no trouble understanding what he means, but then again, we have no trouble understanding what Falco meant when he said Mozart was the first punk, punk rocker. Um, um, we understand what he means, but 
to really talk, to really, it seems strikingly anachronistic to think about Jefferson, say, as a foodie, as the re a review of his book said. In other words, having come up with a marketable title, he has to redefine the term foodie in order to make it work. So these intuitions of anachronism suggest, again, that a psychological account uh, can't quite be right. Um, if it was just an enthusiast for food, there'd be no trouble attributing foodiness to Jefferson. Say, Jefferson brought mac and cheese to America. I just I just learned that. Did you know that? No, it might be his greatest and most lasting accomplishment. Yeah. Well, I mean, not okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Um. Also, I mean, there are norms governing the foodies. I always get in trouble with Stacy for this. Like, foodies are supposed to care about wine. In fact, she has said to me, foodies, you're supposed to care about wine, Aaron. And I don't. Um, uh, and these norms, I think, are even harder to project backwards than the mere uh, categor the categorization. So whereas I can make sense if Benjamin Franklin was a foodie, I find it even harder and more awkward to think that Benjamin Franklin ought to have cared about wine with his, with his meals or what have you. So the, the norms don't seem, seems very hard to project the norms backwards. So it seems to me that one couldn't have been a foodie before the 1980s. And that suggests, strongly suggests, that again, that uh, foodie is a social role, a social role that emerges in the late 1970s, early 1980s. Wolflin, talking about style, said that not everything is possible at all times. And Danto, borrowing from Wolflin, said that not, anything, not everything could count as art at a particular time. So you need the conditions of theory, uh, of, of philosophical theory, to allow for something that looked like that to count as art. It couldn't have counted as art in the 19th century. To extend that a little bit, there are various sorts of categories that were not, not, that were not artistic categories that were not possible at all times. Something just couldn't be punk rock before about the Stooges. Uh, you can debate about what was going on in the 60s and things that were called punk. There were some things that were called punk in the 60s. But roughly speaking, before not much can you can't count as punk. Nothing could be punk before the 1930s. You couldn't be conceptual art, say, in the 19th century. You couldn't be a comic before the 19th again before the before the 1830s or 1840s. So not every kind is possible. These these art kinds, and I think something is similar about various person kinds, and particularly various aesthetic person kinds, like the punk rocker, the dandy, the hipster, the conceptual artist. These are kinds where the, the very possibility of them um, is not, rather not possible until a particular time in history. Um, and I think, and it seems to me that foodie is one of those. So these are these are things that would be interesting to do further work on. As well. Okay, that's a. Um, I think it was a gordita. It was really good. It was like 
20p. Case. 20p. It was heavy, though. It was heavy. Okay, so I think um, all of this gives us reason to think that the foodie isn't a psychological kind or a psychobehavioral kind. Rather, it's a social kind or particularly a socially constructed kind. So what kind of theory of social construction will make sense of this, uh, of this category? Many varieties of social construction. Maybe, the, maybe you think the foodie is just causally constructed. So, um, causally constructed uh, a category is one that um, is caused to exist or persist by some social forces, cultural forces. Um, maybe the existence of the foodie is merely brought about by social forces associated with contemporary capitalism in the Anglosphere, like the same forces that brought around the yuppie, about the same time. Um, so I think the causal constructionist thesis could, in principle, make sense of the recent could, in principle, make sense of the recent coinage of the term. Perhaps the foodie is not a new natural phenomenon, but it's a new socially produced psychological phenomenon. And it might make it, it might seem that it could make sense of the intuitions of an anachronism I mentioned above. No foodies prior to the particular social forces that brought around this particular psychological kind. Um, but note that even ordinary causal construction, about which there's no, doesn't seem like there's any philosophical mystery, is in tension with individualist accounts of the foodies such as wolves. It's not plausible that the existence of people like her account, like enthusiasts about food for aesthetic reasons, does not seem plausible that that's causally dependent on um, on social and economic forces in the, in the 1970s Anglosphere. If people have been con, uh, enthusiastic, enthusiasts about food for aesthetic reasons for centuries prior. Even if, the, um, even if the foodie is causally constructed in some sense, it, it's, not merely causally construct, it's not merely causally constructed. First, there's the comparative nature of the category that I already talked about. You've got a, the to count as a foodie, one must be sort of more in love with food than one's people in one's culture, or if the norm in one's culture. Um, and second, I think you can actually, there's a kind of anachronism with duplicates case that uh, at least seems to me is pretty strong. Take someone who's a foodie now, um, and their psychological duplicate uh, prior, to, prior to, say, the 20th century would still, um, would not count as a foodie, it seems to me. And that, I think, is in tension with them being, the category being merely causally constructed. So if the foodie isn't just causally constructed, it looks like it's constitutively constructed. I'm not going to discuss every kind of social construction, every theory, but I'm going to touch on a few um, that you might think are, well, I'm going to touch on a few. Um, so an identity-based conception of the foodie which appeals solely to the way in which one conceives oneself is implausible. Self-identifying foodie isn't necessary for being foodie. Some people are in denial, it seems. Um, for related reasons, hacking's a dynamic nominalism doesn't seem like it's going to make sense of, this, uh, of the foodie. For hacking, um, the existence of various human kinds um, depends on our classificatory practices because 
actions depend on, ver on, on descriptions and various concepts. Various human kinds are dependent on those actions. An implausible account of the foodie, since the category doesn't seem to depend on using foodie to self-categorize oneself or one's actions. There's no specific kind of action and conceptualization that one has to have in order to be a foodie, it seems to me. For that reason, I think the hacking account uh, doesn't seem to fit well. You might be tempted to think that social positioning has something to do with the foodie. If you think about Haslinger's kind of race and gender, where uh, races and genders have to do with um, hierarchical, hierarchical social positioning, and you might note that, as many people have, that foodie, foodiness does seem to have a link to class. However, I don't think the that the account works because I think the role of social positioning is different with the, with the foodie. It's not a constitutive feature of the foodie. Rather, the fact is, analogy, um, something like uh, having an uh, expensive watch or something like that. Being wealthy and having a certain class status increases the probability that one's going to be a foodie, but being a foodie itself isn't a matter of having a hierarchical status within within culture. So um, don't think the social positioning counts work. So I think a kind of minimalist account of social roles offered by Malin uh, suggests, is, is suggestive. For Malin, a social role exists in a community if and only if two conditions are met. There's a representation of that community that picks out a category of persons linked to a conception of those persons. The conception is composed of a bunch of beliefs and evaluations which make up that conception and their common knowledge in the community. Now, Malin himself admits that common knowledge is too strong and I think there are some other uh, issues. Probably don't want a social rule corresponding to every category for which we have a conception that's common knowledge. So we'll want to deal with that uh, in some ways. But it seems to me um, that there's good reason to think of the foodie as a recently evolved social role in roughly this sense. Um, the representation of the conception of the category, the term foodie, and the conception associated with it were formed in the early 80s. Um, at the beginning, the beliefs and values associated with the conception were not anywhere near to close to common knowledge. As the term became more commonplace, something approximating common knowledge about the category was achieved, at least in the Anglophone West. What is the conception associated with the term consist? That what items of content are associated with the category? Malin talks about essential features, typical features, norms, and evaluations. So maybe the conception of the food includes beliefs about essential features of the foodie, such as foodies are necessarily disposed to enjoy eating. And typicality features, such as foodies are typically interested in foods for aesthetic reasons. Um, foodies typically self-conceptualize as having a food-related hobby. Foodies are typically willing to, so kind of typicality versions of, of Wolf's features. Um, there are probably some norms represented, like foodies ought to visit cities and countries with great food. Foodies ought to take time to learn how to prepare food. Foodies ought to care about wine at their, at their meals. Uh, what about evaluations? 
Malin points out that lots of these socially constructed categories are associated with evaluations, good, bad evaluations. I think it wouldn't, it's not clear that there's any specific evaluation associated with foodies. Now you might just think there are um, two distinct conceptions and two overlapping <laughs> social roles, but I don't think there's any reason to think that shared evaluations are necessary for the existence of a social role. They're typical. And um, in the case of foodies, it's plausible that part of the conception involves a representation about evaluation, something like foodies are often evaluated positive or positively or negatively. So not a straightforward evaluation, but kind of a meta-recognition of the evaluation. So if these feature beliefs and norms approximate common knowledge in the Anglophone West, then foodie is a social role there on the Malin account. I think they do, and that it is, the frequency, frequency with which the word is used, the plethora of think pieces I mentioned at the beginning of this essay, its apparent usefulness in marketing and matchmaking, all point in the direction of common knowledge. It, the conception of foodie plays the sort of coordinating role that's underwritten by common knowledge. So it underwrites the rationality of marking, marking to them, identifying as one, as one in the context of matchmaking and criticizing them in public contexts. People then share basic beliefs about foodies and they know these beliefs are shared and so on and so forth. In fact, there's a sense in which the foodie may be a covert social role. Covert social role, according to Malin, is one like race or gender, he thinks, are covert roles. Ones which are rooted in a mistaken belief of naturalness. So, like racial categories are paradigmatically covert social roles, since racial differences are widely believed to be natural rather than social. So that distinguishes them from overtly social categories, such as being married and being a member of parliament. If Wolf's account does a good job of capturing the folk view of the foodie, and I'm telling think it does, the category is largely believed to be a psycho-behavioral one, that is, roughly speaking, a natural category, not a social one. So there is a sense in which, on this account, um, foodie may count as a covert social role. On the other hand, the intuitions of anachronism I mentioned above suggest that folk theory may be somewhat sensitive to the social nature. So I'm, I'm a little unsure about how to how to square those things. How do these social roles emerge? If Malin's right, the building blocks of social roles are representations of a group, conceptions associated with representations, and something approximating common knowledge. The beliefs and norms that made up the conception didn't even approximate common knowledge in the early, case, in the early cases. What Green and Barr and Levy, Levy did was begin the process by which aspects of the conception became common knowledge. They and other writers such as the Guardian columnist Jill Tweedy publicly broadcast the conception of the foodie, what are the features of the foodie, and in so brought that social role into existence. Okay. Note that in this role, account of social roles, the existence of the role requires existence of some representation that refers to the relevant category. Um, it's not obvious that this must be the lexical item foodie or the lexical concept foodie. Some, some other way of representing the category might do. And furthermore, the account allows that there may have been individuals who exhibited many, perhaps even all of the features of foodies prior to the coining of the term. So you can make sense of the idea that even though the category is representation dependent, there may well have been a pre-existing cultural phenomenon. So I think one can explain the social, the, the intuitions of anachronism that I mentioned above. 
But it can also explain the ambivalence we feel in certain contexts about these retroactive attributions of foodiness. The social role of the foodie doesn't emerge until the 1980s, so there's something anachronistic about characterizing someone as a foodie prior to that. But of course, people were disposed to enjoy eating, were interested in food for aesthetic reasons, thought that food was art, self-conceptualized, having food-related hobbies, and so on, prior to the 1980s. And that's why there's some temptation, a temptation which I think should be risked, to categorize historical figures as foodies. So we can explain anachronism, but also explain the, the pull to uh, attributing foodiness retroactively. That's MFK Fisher. Dori Locos, so Doritos with um, uh, salad, like five different sauces, candy, nuts, chilies, pigskin. Yeah. The first time I got them, they didn't put the candies on, so I rang my friend, the chef, and I said, there are no candies in my Dory Locos. And he said, you got to ask for the candy. So I went back and got a second. So I ate two of those. And I didn't feel so good. Um, so there used to be just a few foodies. Now they're everywhere. Um, well, only 35% of people self-identify as foodies. Uh, usage is on the rise. Um, half of people 18 to 24 do. The millennials are the foodie generation. We're all, we're all foodies now. Well, they are all foodies now. So why are there so many of them? I think the account gives us the resources to explain uh, this. So first of all, the account appeals to the existence of, of some approximation of common knowledge within a community. That is, a social role only exists in a community when there's something like common knowledge of key aspects of the associated conception. The recent rapid increase in foodies then can be partially understood as reflecting change in the size of communities in which common knowledge about foodies are present. For example, its plausible conception was initially only common knowledge in Anglophone countries, or particularly New York, London area. That seems to have changed over the last decade. Google Trends suggests online interest in the term foodie much higher in Finland and Panama than in the US or UK. I gotta look into what's going on in Finland. Um, so I think expanding domains of approximate common knowledge explain partly the rise of foodies. But also there, there are some other features. Um, the shared conception of the foodie makes it reasonable for some agents to act in accordance with the social role because of the social benefits that accrue from being categorized that way. So if I act like, for, like a foodie, and I have, that might lead me to getting gifts that I want, and it has for Hanukkah or Christmas, like cookbooks and, you know, meals. People may treat me as an expert on food-related matters and defer to me with respect to restaurant choices. So there are strategic reasons, once there's this common knowledge of this conceptualism play, to become a foodie. The mere existence of the shared conception makes various possibilities for action salient. It's, it becomes widely known that learning to make one's own bread, or pickles, or pasta, or starting a food blog, or collecting cookbooks, is something that people like us do. Um, since those are just the sorts of activities that are relevant to foodie status, the shared conception has the effect, I think, by making, making these actions salient, increasing the size of the very category to which it refers. The, the shared conception has also led to modifications in our environment. 
Once there's common knowledge about the category of foodies, which includes knowledge of what they like and dislike, the norms associated with that role, it makes sense to create spaces and opportunities for them. Food halls, street food markets, craft ale breweries, supper clubs, cafes that used to serve avocado toast but are now doing something better. And this again, this, these changes in, the, in the, the environment around us, again, make it easier for us to, to be foodie, for more people to engage in foodie behavior. Now, I don't think, uh, there are a couple things to say about this. These factors, these strategic reasons to act in accordance with the social role, the increased salience of various activities, various activities, modifications of the environment, are just the sorts of things that are involved in what Malin calls the entrenchment of social roles the mechanisms by which social roles become causally potent and explanatory significant. If I'm right, then the me mechanisms do double duty. They entrench the social role, and in so doing, have the tendency to make that social role more prevalent. Now, I don't mean this to be an exhaustive account of what seems to be a massive increase of foodies in Anglo-American and Finnish culture in the last decade. Surely some of the explanation for it is economic. The crash of 2008 is certainly a factor in the increase of foodies. All I've tried to establish here is that the social role model of the foodie provides significant resources for explaining the trend. So, in conclusion, the foodie is a social role which was brought about into existence in the early 1980s through development and public broadcast of a conception of a particular kind of person. Moreover, it's a plausibly an aesthetic social role or an aesthetic person kind in that the foodie is like other social roles social roles, for example, the dandy, the decadent, and the punk. Various mechanisms have made activities associated with the role more salient and easier. This largely explains the massive growth in the number of foodies. But foodie is not the only contemporary aesthetic social role which are misunderstood. So some people have offered psychological or psychobehavioral accounts of the hipster. I think those are misguided, and that we should also look for social role theories of those too. Thanks very much. Now, oh, don't I get two minutes following BPA SWIP guidelines? Andrew, I'm shocked. Yes, okay, you're, you're welcome to two minutes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know this was a BPA SWIP. It is. We have it. They have it. I think it's really good for a bunch of reasons. I'll, I'll tell you more about it. Yeah. Yeah, we're moving to that for No, there's one floor you shouldn't get. There are two women.